This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please consider setting up a small monthly donation at patreon.com backslash the creative curmudgeon, or consider making a one-time donation at venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. listening to the creative curmudgeon and i am currently speaking with phoenix artist james b hunt or as he is otherwise known i suppose there's no way to properly pronounce this verbally but it's spelled in all caps n-x-o-e-e-d is there a way that you typically pronounce it that's exactly how i do it i just spell it out usually how did you how did you come up with that name? Do you feel like talking about it? <laughs> um I I don't really know. Um I mean I I did sort of come up with it in a in a weird way, but but um it wasn't supposed to be my name. It was just supposed to be like a like a like a kind of a throwaway like almost like a character, I guess. And um, at the time, I was going by another unpronounceable name, and that name became a band, uh, which was me and my friend Shannon. And when that happened, I was like, well, I, I guess I better find another name because, uh, you know, now we were two people, and I just wanted to be like one, you know, I wanted to keep my, my art stuff separate from mm-hmm. the music stuff. And so, um, yeah, I just sort of came up with that and I don't know why and I don't love it but I, I've been using it I, I've been using it long enough that I guess that's my name now I mean it's easy to search at least which is which is cool <laughs> that's, like, that, that's, that's, that's all it's good for it's uh, easy to search <laughs> so you don't you, you don't really have any recollection as to how it came about it just kind of appeared I, I know how it so it's just that the story behind it is kind of stupid. It, it's it's like, um, it it's like a it, it's a cipher, but I ended up selling the. I don't remember the specifics of it. I was just sort of like jotting it down, mm-hmm. and I ended up selling the piece of paper that it was on to a guy for like three hundred dollars. And now I don't know how it, it, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't have the specifics anymore because sure. that, that guy's got it now. Uh, and I'm sure he'd be glad. In fact, uh, it's probably in my tagged image. You know, he probably tagged me in it at some point. Um, we started interacting for the first time recently uh, when you wrote me about the Sam McFeeders episode of this podcast. And I've been yeah. uh, peripherally familiar with your work for, for many years. Um, when I was working with uh, Josue Kinter a few years oh, yeah. ago, and he was he was recording my band and putting out our album on his label at the time. And I believe you were doing some artwork for that label, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and I did like a little I did like a little Cactus Man for for yes. his band, and then I what was your band? Uh, Sugar Skull Explosion. I, I played in it with uh, with my daughter, who was nine to eleven during that time period. Oh, that's cool. I did. A, I think I did a couple flyers, and I did a couple logos, and I did an album cover for him. Do you oftentimes, when you're doing art for bands, like kind of more so have their thing in mind, and then you're trying to like mold it to fit their thing, or is it more like? you motherfuckers are entering my world. <laughs> I I don't, I, I don't like to, it's funny. I don't like to say it like that, <laughs> but, um, I, it's definitely a little more of the latter mm-hmm. because, um, I try to make it clear that I, you know, it, it's like, it's like sometimes, sometimes you get somebody who's just like, Oh, uh, I like your work. Can you, can you paint my dog? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm not paying that motherfucker's dog, you know? 
And so I don't know how to say that a lot of the time because I don't want to be rude, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I'm probably not gonna, I mean, I'll, I'll take general suggestions like in, like with Josue, he wanted a, he wanted a cactus, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I made a cactus, but I made, you know, the cactus had a face on it and it, it looked like what me doing a cactus would look like, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, so. so a lot of my errands going, going back to just being peripherally familiar with you over the years, like a lot of my errands involve me driving through downtown Phoenix, specifically like Roosevelt row. And there is often just like your distinct looking work somewhere like on light poles, be it on, be it flyers or just like random pieces of art or whatever. Um, and, and it feels very much like subliminal brainwashing, <laughs> just like having it out there. And I'm, I'm curious if subliminal brainwashing is like something on your agenda in, in any respect. That's a very interesting question. You know, I went to uh, design school when I was, I, I was like 19 years old and it was an accident. Uh, I, I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to become a, an illustrator and I, and uh, I wanted to draw comics and you know, you draw comics, you're like, well, what do you do? And you want to draw comics, I guess you go to art school. Mm-hmm. And so I went and, um, it was not an art course. I mean, it was, but it was sort of like a course in graphic design where they teach you all this stuff that none of it I wanted to learn, but it was all extremely useful. And there was definitely a lot of, um, you know, here's how you force the eye to look at this, you know, uh, you gotta have this you got to have your character turned facing the text and you got to have this, and you got to have that. And everything is all about forcing the eye to look at the thing you wanted to say. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really fascinating. And I, and I, you know, I was like, I'm never going to fucking use this shit. Uh, but I guess, I mean, I don't, it's not a conscious thing with me, but I guess, I guess I use that, you know, um, I definitely have it in my, in the back of my head, you know, like, like, um, symmetrical versus asymmetrical design and where are the characters facing and, uh, are they, are they pointing at other things? Sometimes you've got two posters up and sometimes you want your character, um, you know, there's that big cylindrical thing on fifth street, uh, that has all the posters on it. And sometimes you want your character facing, not just the text, but you've got, you're promoting another show and it helps if you've got that same character looking in the direction of the other poster you're putting up. Hmm. And so there is a little bit of that, but I, but not, I'm not, it's not so conscious, I guess, as it used to be. But one thing that I've experienced with like your work is that when there's the big heads that are staring straight ahead at you, that like, that's what I feel like gets my attention the most because there's like a, you know, I see you sort of vibe that I'm getting from the work. Like I see into your soul, like I get who you are, like that sort of thing. And I feel like that's the most attention grabbing for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> what got you started in, uh, putting art in public places to begin with? Well, uh, you know, back in 91, 90 or 91, uh, Mill Avenue was a very different place than it is now. Like I, n- now I, I, like I, I go down Mill Avenue and it's just cancer. But back then, um, we kind of had our own Austin, Texas happening. And I used to sit out in front of Long Wongs. There was a, there was a Long Wongs out there next, over by where the Jack in the Box is. And I would just sit out with my art spread on the ground hoping somebody would buy something because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to do it. Um, and you know, people would not buy it. They just step on it and you're like, well, fuck now I've got footprints on my art, but you keep it down there because you want, you know, when, when you're young and trying to find a way to present 
your art, and this is before the internet is in everybody's houses, you, you do it in any way you can. And back then it was like uh, finding a table at a coffee shop and making the table my gallery for six hours or uh, spreading it out on the ground. And so that's how I got started doing it. Um, how did you start doing art just like in the first place? I don't, you know, I was, I was like three or four years old and knowing I was going to do it. Uh, it, it was like the first thing that felt right, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I don't know what prompted me to keep it. I don't know why I decided I would just, you know, ruin my whole life with this shit, but it happened, you know, it happened. I, I just kept it going. And every time there was a thing that I was supposed to do and it wasn't drawing, I would just be like, okay, well, I guess I'll just fail this class or, or, or not take this test or whatever. I'll just, you know, I'll draw instead. Mm-hmm. And I, I never stopped doing that. And it's, it, you know, in some ways it's fucked my life up. I mean, earlier in life, it kind of fucked it up. Just because you were, like, not prioritizing things with relationships or taking care of yourself, or what do you mean? Yeah, not taking – like, I had a – there was a brief period where I had a – I mean, this is stupid as hell. Um, I had a – when I was a lot younger, but but still an adult – I had mounted like a drawing table on my handlebars so that I could draw and ride my bicycle at the same time. And that's not a good idea. Probably not. No. At least it's on a bike. Like, I mean, that's, that's still dangerous, but like at least, cause like you don't, you don't drive from my understanding. Correct. So no, I don't, if you're, if you're that dedicated to drawing that you'll do it while in trans transportation mode, then like, you know, at least it's on a bike and not a car. Yeah, well, my my thinking at the time was that, like, I'll I'll do it while I'm stationary. Like, I'll do it, you know, I've already got this, like, built-in place to sit because I've got a seat. And I can just sort of, like, stand and I've got this drawing table on my handlebars. And, you know, uh, this won't get in the way of anything. But then you, you find yourself at a stoplight and, you know, you're working on something and then the light turns green and, you don't want to go. You're still working on it. Mm-hmm. And I learned, I learned very early on that, uh, that wasn't going to work. Yeah. And so thankfully I never died on it. Yeah. I'm glad too. Um, <laughs> yeah. With, uh, as far as like why you draw or why people make art in general, like the thing that I've kind of come across a lot in this podcast, including in the interview with, um, McFeeders is, just the feeling of like not really knowing why that's that that specific thing is appealing there's i think the one that like makes the most sense is just the uh fear of one's demise and like how you know it feels a slightly less scary when you're leaving shit behind as some sort of like documentation or whatever that's that's exactly right um i at some point you start to realize that you're just going to leave a trail of shit that, uh, somebody's going to have to deal with. And you feel like, well, you know, um, it's interesting. Everybody's sort of responsible for their own archiving. Everybody is their own perfect archivist and I always think about that like you know you get a hundred people in a community together and they've, they've all got their own archive of things uh, you've got an amazing time capsule there of the moment because mm-hmm. every, you know like every band is saving their own posters and every um, artist is saving whatever they're saving and uh, at, yeah at some point you start to think about it in terms of like well I'm not going to be here forever and nobody's going to give a fuck uh, once I'm gone and they don't, and they don't give a fuck now. So, uh, I guess it's a, I guess it's a journal and I, I kind of see my posters like that in a way, you know, uh, 
you look back on these and you realize that you're making, sure, you're making posters with all these bands' names on them, but a lot of these bands are also your friends, mm-hmm. and you start to realize that you got a lot of, you got a lot of pieces of paper with your friends' names on them, and it, it's it's kind of it's kind of nice to look back on, you know, fondly and, uh, you know, wonder what that guy's doing now sure, or whatever. So yeah, it's almost kind of a journal in a way. Is there something about like the art specifically that is journal like for you as far as like what you're actually drawing slash painting? I guess in the sense that, you know, I, I always look back on the work and I'm never, I, I'm never happy with it. Uh, but in the moment I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, when I get something done, I'm like, okay, this is done. This is fine. Uh, but a year or two later, I'll look at it and be like, wow, I really fucked that up. And so there are varying degrees of how badly it was fucked up that I see, I guess. And it's, as I, move on I guess it looks a little less fucked up than it used to so I guess I can see the earlier it is the more mistakes I see I guess you know so it's kind of like if you're like writing in a journal if you but you're writing like your literal like day-to-day events or whatever or how you feel about them but then like if you look back on it a few years after the fact it's like oh god this is embarrassing Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's like when you look back on something you wrote, and there are um, you use the word "very" six times in one sentence, you know, yeah. and you're just like, "What the fuck, dude?" That's a weird thing about this uh, this podcast as well, or just like doing any sort of podcast is like having documentation of like all the times that you yeah. pause and say um. <laughs> or just like say something ridiculous and have there be like an awkward silence or something. It's just uh, the things that are that just like come and go quickly in like day-to-day activity. But then when you're listening back to this, you're like, oh God, I sound like that. Yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you do? Do you edit that out or? Uh... Um, it depends. I, uh, I, it, it bugs me with podcasts. I mean, people should do podcasts however they want. It bugs me personally when people are casual about it to the point of like, all right, hang on. I'm going to go take a shit. Yeah. And then like, you know, you there's like a couple minutes of like silence and then somebody talking in the background about a sandwich or something. And then they like <laughs> come back. So I, 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 I edit the parts that are excessive. I got you. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I try to not go, uh, it, I could go really overboard with that with be, because of being like self-conscious and whatnot. And I try not yeah. to cause who gives a fuck in reality, but yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. I, a couple of years ago, I bought a zoom recorder because I, I play the flute and I was, and, and two of my best friends are like the two best producers I I've ever met. And I was like, well, I should, uh, I should start getting some of this flute down on uh, tape or whatever. And, and maybe I can do something with it. And I, I, I bought the recorder, and I set it up and, you know, I, I played and I was just like, this, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever done in my life. But I had, you know, like this hundred and something dollar recorder now. And I was like, what, what am I going to do with this? So I was like, I should start a podcast. And I tried and I did two episodes, two interviews with two of my best friends and it's it's like you said. I I kept the amount of times I said um and you know and like I, like it just made me want to die. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, okay, well I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I would imagine that like everybody does that to an extent, but that like you know how podcasts like have like crews, yeah, and whatever that clean all that shit up. I don't have that, so like it's up. Yeah, to, I, was it's gonna, up- I was I was gonna say like uh, a, a lot of these things are team effort and and uh it sounds like you're just one guy running running the whole thing yeah pretty much it's 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 a nice uh it's it's a nice opportunity to you know interact with people to talk about things that i'm like interested in 
in talking about, and it's been very hard to get back into uh, being social, like since since COVID started. A, because I'm yeah. I'm still not going to like big indoor events or whatever. But then B, just even without that, it's like uh, it's just it's just hard to once you get out of practice with that sort of thing, it's like hard to like get back into that. So it's nice to have this as like a outlet, a social outlet, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you develop, uh, like the monstrous style specifically that is your, your trademark? I, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I tend to just, in fact, I'm, I'm looking at one right now cause I've got, I've got a deadline on something and I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? And lately I've been doing these finger creatures where I started thinking, well, what if a, what if a severed finger became sentient and started growing its own limbs and faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of, I started drawing characters like that recently. And usually I, I don't know what I'm going to draw. I like, like artists who I'm always a little envy of envious of an artist who has a plan Mm-hmm. You know, like like you'll you'll meet people who have sketchbooks full of their stuff, and they're like, "This is what the painting's going to look like. It's a drawing right now, and uh, I'm going to ink it, and then I'm going to paint it on a painting on a on a canvas." But here are the plans, and they've got stuff written next to it. Like like I don't know where the I don't know how they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just start and about uh about five minutes in i'm i'm like well i guess it's a face or i guess it's a severed ascension severed finger or i guess it's a bird uh and i and i just started working around that so i don't really have a i don't have a plan really i just it ends up being what i paint or draw i guess and I guess it lets me know. I'll, I hate that answer though. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I. You know, it's not a magic trick. It's it's just I. I just start and a, a monster appears. I guess. That's interesting. Yeah. No. I was I was going to ask that as well. Like whether how much of what you do is like mapped out uh, in advance. And honestly, like I think that what I'm kind of learning about myself and also with conversations I've had with other people, how the more that you map out in advance, I, I feel like the higher risk of uh, not being like genuine. Yeah. And that even goes for just like, you know, day-to-day interactions or whatever. If you're kind of like spending a lot of time manufacturing this self or what you're making or whatever, then that uh, that may may come across as insincere. Yeah, and, and you know, in my younger years, I definitely did some of that. Like, like one of the things I used to do, I used to title my paintings, and um, they the titles were pretentious, as most titles of paintings are to this day. When I whenever I see like a, you know, somebody will be like, "Well, this painting is titled," and it's like a whole last sentence. I'm mm-hmm. just like, "Go, go fuck yourself, dude." <laughs> um, and I can't, I, I feel that if I t- title something, sometimes a place is like, well, you have to title it. It can't be untitled. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just call it the monster painting or whatever. And, uh, you know, it becomes that. I, I, I can't, I don't know, like at some point, and I'm not saying that it's, you know, there are artists who title their shit and that's cool. Like they're, they're doing what's right for them and there's nothing wrong with it and it's rad i just for whatever reason um i feel i feel silly titling things Hmm. and uh like it feels forced like after the fact to like figure out like oh what is this what is yeah it's it's like how am i gonna you know i'm sure there's a story in there sometimes there is a story sometimes you start in one area and then a story begins to develop and a lot of times like especially with my black and white work because it's it's re, it's reproducible you can take it to the to a copy machine at FedEx and 
uh, sort of like make copies of it and then cut it out and sort of remix it with other things. You can you can add faces to the already existing face that you made, and um, you can sort of tell a collage story that way too. So some of them do tell a story, but um, I don't necessarily know what the story is in the beginning, and so I don't want to. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather people just let me know what it is, I guess. Yeah, and I think that like, like there's also poets that I like who either don't title their poems, or um, uh, there's a poet Matthias Felina who's um, been on this podcast. Who uh, he's he's released a couple of books of poems where like there's a title of the book and then like every title of the poem is also the title of that book. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that there's something to be said about how that leaves something to uh, to the imagination. It's not like forcing some sort of manifesto down the throats of people that I think can be very rewarding. And I, I like that about your stuff as well. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Like, um, it's always best to let people find it on their own. I feel, um, and I, and I feel like that about my whole life. Like I, you know, um, there are people in our day to day lives in, in popular culture that just are omnipresent. And because of that, uh, you're just like, I can't get away from this fucking guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to be a person that you can't get away from. I'd, I'd rather people who like the stuff find the stuff and do what they will with it um that's interesting that you should mention that because one thing that i was um thinking about with you is most people who make art like want praise on some level like myself included yeah. even if I, I don't love admitting that but there's definitely a part of me that like wants that yeah, and, of course, of course. And even with visual art, you know, you see it in a gallery, you see the name of the artist, what their grand manifesto is for it. Um, <laughs> there's the there's the gratification of being like accepted and approved of by some prestigious gallery in the yeah. first place. And I know you've had your stuff in galleries as well, but being that you're not somebody who's like posing in front of your work and you know, making a spectacle of yourself, um, you're, I, I'm curious if that like anonymity is something that is important to you for your art? Yeah, uh, it's really important. I was, you know, I've, I'm always really nervous that somebody's going to, um, you know, I'm very conscious of when somebody brings a camera into a gallery. Mm-hmm. And I even have a little finger puppet that I can, uh, it's, it, it's a work in progress. I, you know, at some point I'm going to have to build this finger puppet, puppet out so that it, you know, actually can be seen in photographs. But, um, I bring props, I guess. And I'm like, uh, you can take, a, you can take a picture of this and we'll just call this me. And if, if the photographer or whoever's got the camera, uh, doesn't think that's insane, uh, then we take that picture. Uh, but yeah, I always, I always hide, uh, and, and, uh, sometimes friends will even pretend to be me, uh, so that I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have to be seen. Right. You don't have to uh, deal with the awkward interaction of just like, no, I'm I, I, like hard pass. Yes. Yeah. Although I, you know, I, I love talking to him. I just. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know that I'm great with talking to them, you know, um, I, I might not be the best representation of myself. Well, it's just such a, it, it's so, not to state the obvious, but it's so commonplace to visually document like everything you do. Um, and in yeah. order to give it some sort of like validation or to get validation from other people or whatnot. And again, I'm not saying I don't do that. Sure. Um, but that's, I'm, I'm sure that's like, 
even well, more want, awkward I than it would have been. I want validation too. I want validation too. Sure. I, you know, um, I, and I think that, you know, going back to what I said about, um, being young and not knowing how to show art and so i would just sit at coffee tables or sit at tables in coffee shops and have it spread out or or have it spread out on the ground of long longs i mean that's 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 something you do especially when you're young because you really want people to see what what you do but you also really don't know how to get it seen and and um i mean maybe kids are luckier now or that that you could they've just got an Instagram where you can see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's still, maybe it's still hard. Maybe there are still young artists sitting at coffee shops and on the ground showing their shit, hoping somebody gives a fuck. Right. And when that does happen, it's going to be maybe not to overgeneralize, but like it's going to hit a little differently than yeah. like some, some stranger liking something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is is praise something that generally like affects you one way or another? Like for me, it's like sometimes even makes me feel like weird. I don't know why, but I'm yeah. curious, how does it, how does it affect you? Yeah, it makes me feel a little weird. Well, uh, I don't hate it. I mean, it's nice. It's it's nice when it comes. Uh, but also, I am conscious of the fact that. Um, I'm not going to know how to accept it. And I'm, you know, uh, and sometimes I, I, a lot of times I feel it's undeserved, you know, uh, I, I can't help but feel that I could have done better. And so when somebody says something nice about a thing, that I'm not happy about. I'm, you know, I'm just like, are we, are we, are we looking at the same thing? But I don't want to say that because I don't want to, you know, be an asshole. So I say thank you. <laughs> do do people think you're an asshole ever when you uh, when they compliment you and you're like, ah, I don't know. I hope not. Fuck, that would suck. Um, that happened I, with uh, me, and so I was, uh, yeah. I, but <laughs> I often don't know when I sound like an asshole. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of life can be summed up by varying degrees of not knowing how to take something. And so uh, your response has now affected the outcome of the rest of your life. I don't know if, you've, if uh, you ever saw that Kids in the Hall sketch where, uh, uh-huh. where Dave Foley uh, is talking at a party and he talks about how he has this affliction where he's just like he always sounds sarcastic. Oh, yeah. And like uh, he's like, no, I I'm so lonely. I'm not trying to sound sarcastic. And that's that's pretty much how it is with me, like interacting with people. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's funny. Uh, Sam McFeeters has that same hang up about his friend Jesse Pearson, uh, host of the Apology Podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, their interview is how I found that podcast, and it has become my favorite podcast. I love that podcast. Yeah, no, that that's one of the one of the few that I listen to on a semi-regular basis same yeah that was that was that was kind of a template for for this podcast to as far as like it it being like okay it's going to be about this i know but then it's also going to possibly be about lots of other things that aren't like this thing like reading in in their case and then just yeah yeah it was it was great how it started and and all you know he he begins every podcast with like what are you reading and uh it's really cool but i found that podcast because i was doing a search on you know uh sam mcfeeters had just released that book mutations and uh i i found it searching for him and i was just like this is the the best conversation i've heard in years and i kept wanting more and he kept coming up you know like i i google his name frequently so that i can check and see if he's got a new podcast interview and a lot of them are just like, you know, um, you know, the interview isn't the, the, the person conducting the interview isn't very capable or doesn't ask a lot of interesting questions he, and Sam still delivers, but, um, it was nice to find yours. Yeah. I, I think, a, I think an Instagram image just popped up and it was Sam McFeeters. I was like, what the fuck? Hmm. 
and so I listened to the podcast, and it was great. You got you got new information out of him that I hadn't heard, so that was cool. Yeah, no, I I I, I very much uh, appreciate that, and yeah, I've I've been a fan of his for for decades, and yeah, same. It definitely. Uh, it it, it, it it definitely made me nervous. So I'm I'm glad that I came across as like <laughs> you didn't sound nervous. Uh, you sound like a pro. Oh, well, that's that's very nice of you. Thank you. Um, how long does it usually take you to complete a a piece on average? I, I this is probably a very broad answer. Yeah, it it always kind of depends. Like. Um... You know, like a, a day like today, like I've got a deadline tomorrow, I think, and I'm going to miss that deadline by like a day or two. Uh, but so today is one of those days where I'm cranking out like 10 things at once and uh, they're going to be interesting. I hope they I hope they work out. Um, so like for bands or what, what are the what are the deadlines for? Oh, I've got a I've got a zine that I'm working on. Okay. And the the, I, the, the it, one by the one with your namesake. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's due tomorrow. The publisher doesn't care. Uh, when I, he he's just like, he's one of my best friends, and he he'll let me. You know, if I if I want to say I'm not finished with this thing, I I don't want to I don't want to give it to you until October mid October. He's not gonna he's not gonna really mind. Mm-hmm. But I give myself deadlines so that I can finish. Because otherwise, I'll just it'll just sit on my table forever. Right. And uh, so, yeah, today I'm going to do a bunch of things. That's how it is a lot of the time. Uh, maybe it's that way with you too. I'm, I'd be interested to hear because I I do a lot of knowing that something's coming up, uh, sitting and looking at my drawing table, but not doing anything for weeks knowing that the deadline's about to hit and then panicking a week before the deadline and, and doing everything hmm. and getting it done, but knowing I could have done better. Is it the sort of thing where, cause obviously you love what you do, but it may be hard to work up the motivation to actually do this thing that ends up being like, you know, gratifying, but just like getting out of a slump of not doing it. But then, like, you have to kind of have that, like, deadline or whatever. Yeah, before it starts, it's – I don't want to say that it's scary, but it's – it's something that gives me anxiety. So it's – it hasn't been started yet. I mean, you know, the zine's almost finished. I've only got a couple pages left. But, um, you know, before it started, like, it was exciting and I was happy about doing it. And I always am. But then it's like time to do it, and you're like, "Fuck, what am I going to do?" And so you just panic while you're doing nothing. It's, it, it's hilarious because the the solution of the problem is just make the thing, and it will manifest itself. But uh, for whatever reason, I don't do that. I sit and look at my drawing table and panic when I see the blank sheet, mm-hmm. and stay that way for a month, and then suddenly it's like, okay, well, I better get to work on this. And then I start working on it and it's like, you know, effortless or it feels that way, you know, you, but when you're not working on it, you panic, I guess. So yeah. So having that pressure is even, even if you kind of look back on it and think things could have been differently with more time, like it's ultimately kind of being in a rush to some extent is ultimately kind of like beneficial to, to the finished product. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. And I guess it, I guess it dictates what the piece is going to be too. Like, you know, um, I don't know that I would have been able to, you know, if, if I'm, you know, the way the, the severed finger monster thing came about was I, you know, I started drawing a hand. It's like, I guess I'll draw a hand. And then, uh, then the finger, the index finger started to sprout another finger. And then the palm of the hand started to sprout a face and then the face became bigger than everything. And then, uh, the face sprouted another finger and, uh, it's almost like an automatic thing. I don't want to call it automatic drawing because it's, uh, that gives it a mystical connotation that, uh, isn't there. I don't think, 
Hmm. But yeah, it's kind of a, it's almost better that it's improvised than if I were to come to it with a grand plan. Right. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you compile your zines with me. Like when I'm, if I'm compiling something, um, doesn't really work if in advance I have like a theme that I like want to stick to and then make a bunch of stuff that like follows that theme. My ADHD is just like fucking out of control. And so I just end up making a bunch of shit and then kind of take note after the fact or get feedback from people as far as like whatever themes might have appeared. And then I'll like, you know, put it together and then go, huh? (laughs) So I'm I'm curious. Is that, is that the case at all with you or do you, how do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, these, these zines are, are basically, uh, I start out with, so I spend the year, I, I come out with one of them every year, I think. And I, I start just by, well, I don't even really think about it. I just have stuff in my sketchbook from when I was out drawing or whatever. And I don't ever like if I start a drawing, I'm going to finish it. So I don't have sketchbooks. I don't have sketchbooks full of stuff that never see the light of day. Really. I, I, I kind of use everything that gets drawn. I don't intend to, you know, like I, I intend to keep some things to myself, but then like, like we were talking about, there's a deadline and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll use this. So, so I'll start out with a lot of stuff that already existed and then I'll sort of, cut it out of the sketchbook and then collage a background and sort of paste the drawing to the background, which I think is kind of fun. Like mm-hmm. that's the fun part. Like I, I like the assembling more than the, more than the, the actual drawing, I think. I'm sorry. So uh, you do So you do it by hand? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I sort of, you know, I'll find, uh, like I find I'm, I'm into, I'm into radios and, and, and like frequencies and, listening to uh conversations happening on repeat on ham repeaters and stuff and you know i found this old book from 1989 with all these uh now defunct frequencies because everything's gone digital and so i've been cutting those up a lot and and mixing them with other stuff and pasting them to the the background and uh then cutting the cutting the drawing out and pasting that on top of the whole background. And then, uh, it, it sort of like starts to tell a story and it's, it, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of what life was like before the internet kind of, because it's just you and your drawings and some scissors and some glue stick. Yeah, no, I made a lot of flyers, uh, that way up until like a few years ago. And, uh, honestly, yeah. a lot of it just had to do with like, I didn't think that I had, like now I know Canva like okay, but as far yeah. as just like learning digital art and that was like I, I had no clue how to like do that. So it was more of just like a, I know how to use scissors. Yeah, I'm a, yeah exactly. Like I'm a dinosaur. Uh, I I went to graphic design school like three years before it all became obsolete. So I've got a lot of knowledge of things that nobody uses anymore. And that kind of sucks in a way, but it's also, it adds to the, to the aesthetic, I think, um, you know, a a thing looks like it's cut out and I kind of, it's funny. My, my, my design teacher used to tell me like, this, this looks like garbage looks like a ransom letter. And so I would try really hard not to make my thing look like a ransom letter, but now that is that aesthetic is sort of like what drives the work i think you know like it it kind of should look like a ransom note that that's insane that you're that you're you said your teacher said said the words like said that it was garbage or something like equivalent to that yeah well he he was talking in terms of like not my work necessarily but you know we have these things where we'd have to rearrange ads and make them look like advertise, like real advertisements, things mm-hmm. that you would find in a magazine, like things that just throw away things that you see all the time and don't give two shits about. And, uh, I would do it and 
it you could see the shadows and you know if you put if you put the thing in a, in a copy machine you could see the shadows of the paper that was glued onto the other paper and all that stuff that he called mistakes and i agreed with them like i i clumsily did it because i didn't want to do the assignment um and i agreed with him that it did kind of look like garbage but now like you know now i kind of go for that look you embrace the garbage yeah yeah <laughs> um i'm curious when you're uh Delivering, delivering isn't the right word, hiding um, yeah. art in uh, Phoenix versus other, I know you've done it in California as well. I don't know where else you've you've done that activity, but I'm curious what the experience is like doing it in Phoenix versus doing it other places. It's a lot of fun. I, uh, it makes life better than it would otherwise be because now you're playing, now you're sort of like playing a game with the world, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, if you've got to go and do something and, that, and you really don't want to do that thing, uh, you can bring a couple pieces with you and hide them. And now it's a, now it's an activity. Or if... Uh, so it helps you with like, errands, am I understanding that correctly? Like if you got to go to the post office or something, but you don't want to, it's like, well, on the way, I'll just like hide this thing under a rock. Yeah, exactly. And And sometimes they get found and sometimes they don't. And it's just as much fun passing a thing that um there's a there's one that's hidden in mesa that i hid in 2009 and its remnants are still there like nobody's ever found this thing Hmm. and it's it's exciting kind of knowing that nobody ever found it and it's also exciting when they find it so uh the experience in california is more like that's more fun to me be just because like I was born in California and lived there for many years and uh, every time I go back I feel like I'm home and so there, there's there's excitement about it out there but it's still fun here it hasn't been fun this summer because you know this summer was trash it's apocalyptic yeah dude yeah uh, like at any time I've talked with anybody who even people I don't know very well yeah. uh who don't live in Arizona, they like bring like, Whoa, I don't know how you're surviving out there. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. That's like national news. Yeah. I was, you know, I had to, I had to be in San Francisco in June and I had never, I was five years old the last time I'd been on a plane and it almost crashed. And people are always telling me, well, that was just turbulence, but I'm like, okay, well, why were there humans screaming then? You know, and that cured me of ever wanting to go on an airplane, but suddenly I had to be on one again. And so we went to San Francisco. And so, so I'm sorry, you were saying that like you hadn't been on a plane from age five up until like recently? Until like three mo- three or four months ago, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was, uh, it, it was surprisingly like soothing looking out the window and seeing the ground. That, that was really cool actually. But, um, yeah, I ended up in San Francisco where, you know, it was 110 degrees here and it was 62 degrees there. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? It's so annoying. I've been to San Francisco in the summer as well, and it, it, it's obnoxious yes, how, how nice it is there. Yes, it's, it's so nice. And I and now I'm like, oh, this is why everybody wants to live here. And, uh, you know, uh, we had a show and I went to the show and everybody had um, everybody had questions about Arizona. like like, And, and I don't blame them, like. I have questions about Arizona. Like, why, why, why do I live here? <laughs> but like, you know, uh, they found it fascinating that um, that around this, you know, around June, early June of every year, uh, Walgreens or Costco will have a display of uh, special uh, uh, black light flashlights so that we can all see the scorpions, which I don't want to see the fucking scorpions. I don't know why, I don't know why anybody's buying those. Um, but they were like, what do you mean? You can see the scorpions with a special light. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, no, it's, it certainly is. And, uh, but the, yeah, like, like it was interesting to interact with people who enjoy the weather during the summer. Like that was crazy. Yeah, like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
also they were all very sweet like honestly like i, I loved every one of those people uh and m- miss that but uh that was like a that was a shock for sure right right um well i i i think this went well is there anything you want to add before we cut this off for now uh well i i guess um we've got a zine coming out soon at some point as soon as i can finish it we've got the sticker drop in october at the del plaza october 21st you should do you have stickers actually um i i i me and my partner actually we we uh have stickers of a picture of our dog and when we when, when we go places we will oftentimes put uh like in LA, we have a sticker on a street sign that's on the same street as um, what's that bookstore? The last bookstore. That's a great bookstore, yeah. And uh, yeah, whenever we whenever we travel somewhere, we we will try to put stickers in just like random places. So it's kind of similar to what you do, though not exactly, but yeah, yeah, have those. But yeah, so you organize like kind of sticker events with like people to just like different vendors from all over the place. It's these these things are a lot of fun, um, and I didn't come up with the concept. I, people have been doing these events for dec- events like these for a couple decades now. Um, but yeah, you basically there are there are sticker tables, and you come to the show and you throw your stickers on the table, and then you see what other artists have left, and you pick up their stickers, and you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and everybody at the show leaves with hundreds or thousands of new stickers in their collection it's awesome uh, yeah there's there's so much fun you should you should be a part of it uh, uh i'd love to get your name on the flyer and stuff um we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk more we'll talk about, about that yeah. yeah um all right well well thank you for joining me today awesome thank you mm-hmm.